system going in your seats. How many people at the bottom? Check them numbers. No. <laughs> There's somebody in Nashville, Tennessee, watching this morning. Good morning, Dwayne. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We're thankful that we're able to be here. And enter a time of worship to God. And I got that thing going. I can hear myself. Okay. To hear another lesson from His Word. We have some announcements this morning we'd like to go over, and, and uh, uh, Gail Hewitt's surgery went well. She's recovering at home. Keep uh, Joe and Sandy's son and daughter-in-law and family, Jeff Galloway, in your prayers. Keep him in your prayers if you could, please. On Jeff and his wife, all, all four of them have been tested and they're positive and they're all staying at home. So keep them in your prayers. Cindy Baker, that's Kathy Haney's mom. Keep her in your prayers. Whitney's grandmother. Roger Pryor's undergoing test. Keep him in your prayers. And if you look at the uh, list, you'll see that there's there, there's more people on our prayer list. Also this week, Debbie Bertram passed away from complications of COVID. I ask that you keep the Bertram family in your prayers at this time. Without any more announcements, I'd like to read numbers 6, 24, 25, and 26 as we begin. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us, for watching over us through the night, for the land in which we live, for our community, and for the country. We ask your blessings, Father, up upon our country this week as we go through a time that... Uh, People vote for different people, and we pray that you bless this process and that it goes well and, and, and all ends well. We ask your blessings, Father, on Terry Leap tomorrow in his surgery, that you be with the doctors that are attending to him, that they're able to help him. We pray for Gail and Jeff and his family and Cindy Baker and John Klein and Roger and Dottie and all of our others, Father, that are sick at this time, watch over them, be with Jeff and his family. We pray that you bless the Bertram family at their loss this week. Watch over them. Continue to be with Jennifer and her boys in passing of, of Mark. Bless them. We ask that you go with us through this service today and the things we do, we pray, are pleasing unto you in accordance with your will. Forgive us, Father, in thy son's name we pray. And amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? first song this morning is on the overhead only. It's How Great Is Our God.
Our next song is number one. Number one, A Beautiful Life. Each day I'll do a thought. Let's pray at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for so many wonderful blessings that you've given us in this life, Father. The blessings of coming together and to sing and to pray and the blessings of both of those things, Father, that we can glorify your name and, and tell you what we think and, and, Father, that we can pray to you and also tell you what we think and understand what you're thinking through your word. Father, we just pray that you will be with us in our worship this morning. Continue to bless us as we sing and as we listen to a lesson from Brother French, Father. French will bless him today. And, and Father, just help us to, to gain from his words about Mark. Father, we pray that you will help us to do the best we can, Father, in trying to help others along the way, trying to teach others along the way, and, and, and trying to, to give people things that they need and encourage them. Father, we just thank you so much that you love us and, and, how, and how great you are to us, Father. Father, just pray that you'll bless those who are sick at this time, those that Brother Jerry just mentioned, Father, and especially those having surgeries, that you'll be with them and bless the outcome to, to be. Father, we just pray for those who have COVID, and we just pray that you'll be with the Galloway family at this time and, and bless them that they will be able to, to, to come through that situation uh, well, Father. Bless the many that have it. There's so many in our in our world, Father, that have this disease. And, and Father, we just pray that you'll, you'll bless, bless them to be strong and to overcome it. And, Father, we just remember those who, who have, unfortunately, 
failed to overcome it, Father. We just pray that you'll bless them and those families involved, uh, with the Bertram family and with others, Father. So many that we know and are learning to know about. Father, just help, help the, 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 those scientists and those doctors and those involved that a vaccine can be created, Father, that will, will prevent this disease from, from hurting very many people, Father. And Father, we do pray also that you will help the church, that we won't be defeated by it as well, that, that we will always have strength uh, as a congregation. Father, all the congregations throughout the world, Father, that are facing this, and, and every Christian, Father, that's facing this, the, the mental and the physical and the different things that we go Stay strong. Help us to continue to give us your peace. Help us to remember how much you love us and if you gave your son for us. And Father, help us to remember also that, that as we've said many times, this world's not our home, but we do pray that you will be with us when, when that day comes, Father, that you will take us on with you. Father, we do pray for our country also this week. Pray for the many that, that are being voted on, Father, that, that our country will never come to a point where it, it will hinder us from worshiping you in any form or fashion that will hinder us from living morally, moral lives, Father. Uh, and just help, help those uh, that are elected to, to look to you, to look to your word, to look to the understanding that we have that, that we need to be Christian about things, we need to show love for one another, uh, and all those things, Father, that seems, seemingly we, we sometimes fail to do in this world. Bless us, Father, continue to be with us this day. Bless us in our service. Forgive us, Father, of our sins. We commit so many at times. And just help us to do better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our next song is number 916. 916. Come share the Lord. We gather here and
when Jesus <clears throat> instituted the Lord's Supper, his strength, he spoke of strength concerning of its importance. During his time, he uttered six words that have perhaps been quoted more often than any others. These words are, do this in memory of me. It becomes an act of obedience for Christians to come together in observance of the Lord's Supper. The act of obedience becomes an act of love when we care enough to remember our Lord in this manner. We have all performed many acts of obedience. It started when we were children and were taught to us by our parents. We did this even though sometimes it was unpleasant. There are times one obeys because he feels he has to. But when love enters the picture, the task becomes an act of love. When we truly love someone, it is a joy to please that person. The more we learn of Jesus, the more we love him. Jesus is filled with love and compassion for others, the rich, the poor, the lovable, the unlovable. He was willing to give so much for so little in return. How can one not like him, love him? Let us be thankful for the opportunity to perform this act of obedience, for when it is done in his mercy, it becomes an act of genuine love. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. As Christians, Father, we look forward to each first day of the week which we can come to be with others and other Christians and, Father, to, to worship you and to remember Jesus and, dear God, to uplift people and help people in their lives. And, Father, we just thank you for for your love, the love that Jesus was willing. He loved us so that he was willing to die for us. And for that, we are eternally grateful. Continue to be with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for, for your son, for your love for us, and that he was willing to die for us. And dear God, we share now this fruit of the vine, which to him is his shed blood. And there's no greater love that a man can do other than give his life for others. Father Jesus willingly came to this earth and to suffer painful. And we are so grateful for that. We continue to ask you to be with us and forgive us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay. It's this time when we usually pass our collection plates. And because of the COVID, we uh, can't do that. And there's yellow places at the back where you can put your uh, contributions on your way out. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for forgiving us a nation, forgiving us a land, forgiving us good things in our lives. Our Father, most of all, you gave your son, and he died a terrific death, a horrible death. And we just thank him so much for that, and thank you for that. Continue to be with us, Father. We know that there are others right now who are going through some difficult times. We know there's many in this our congregation in this building who have somebody or know something about the COVID-19.
Father, we pray for them. We pray for the Burton family and the loss of his wife. Continue to be with us. Continue to forgive us when we err. Amen. If you would, let's stand. We'll sing number 226. 226. How great thou art. from Mark chapter 1, 21 and 22. Mark chapter 1, 21 and 22. <clears throat> and they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Good morning. Good to see all of your faces masked up, I guess. But it's good to see all your faces. 
uh, this morning. Thank you for being back with us. We are studying from Mark chapter 1 this morning. We are closing out, hopefully, the, the first chapter here in Mark and getting well into the second chapter. So we've got a lot of ground to cover in Mark. That's kind of what Mark likes to do. He wants to tell you a story. He wants you to get the point of the story. And then he's going to move on to another story where he tells you a similar point. And so he, his gospel is just power-packed with point after point after point um, that he is trying to drive into our heads. And so today, let's try to wrap our minds around this. We are uh, studying this gospel in the hopes that we can see Jesus clearly. That's why Mark wrote his gospel in the first century. Uh, they are under some intense persecution. We are obviously not under intense persecution. We deal a little bit more with apathy today. And so we need to understand just as much as they did, though for different reasons, that Jesus really is God. We need to grab a hold of that fact and not let go of it for any reason. And so I think Mark is a great gospel for us to dive into, especially during, during this, this year uh, where things kind of seem topsy-turvy and, and nothing, nothing seems right. Uh, Mark seems to be kind of the perfect gospel to go through during this time. So Mark chapter 1, uh, we're going to start in verse 21 where John read for us this morning. And I've just got three questions for you this morning. Here's the first one. We're going to walk through some of Mark's stories. And we're going to draw out Mark's point that he wants us to grab a hold of today. There's a man that comes to Jesus here in Capernaum. Uh, Peter and Andrew, at the very least, are from this city. It's a small city. Uh, Jesus moves there when he is uh, an adult. And this is where he's going to launch his ministry from. Like I said, Peter and Andrew are from this city. And so Peter has a house there. You're going to get to meet Peter's mother-in-law in just a minute. Uh, but they are in this city, and Jesus walks into the synagogue, and he starts teaching. And there's going to be an unclean spirit, a demon. Uh, a demon-possessed man is going to come to Jesus uh, in the synagogue, and he's got some words for Jesus, and, and they're, going to, they're going to talk, and we're going to talk about what they, what they say in just a second, because I think their words are important. Um, but Jesus is ultimately going to, obviously, cast that demon out showing his power over the demons. One of the things that you're going to want to learn from this section of Scripture is um, Jesus has authority. He has incredible power. Uh, and you're going to see through, I think, four or five different miracles today, if we have time uh, to get through all of them. You're going to see miracle after miracle after miracle. It's no uh, mistake that these miracles are placed back to back to back. Mark is trying to get you to where he wants you to be, right? Mentally speaking, intellectually speaking. He wants you to grab a hold of this fact that Jesus really is God. He really is who he claims to be. He is divinity. Uh, and if he is, then you ought to follow him. Submit to him. Give away everything in order to do what he says, right? He's worth dying for if he really is God. Now, at the very least, the one thing that I want you to get out of this, we have lots of points today that I think are very powerful. Read through this gospel. Don't, don't, don't overlook uh, this, this, this incredible gospel. It's been overlooked for far too long. Don't overlook it. Read through these chapters. Uh, Mark only has 16 chapters. It's the shortest of the gospels. So read through these chapters. Read through this gospel uh, and, and grab a hold of what Mark is trying to teach for us to us today, but at the very least, what I want you to get out of this is, Jesus has power that no one has ever seen before. No human has ever been able to do these things. And Mark is going, just going to put these things back to back to back to back. These miracles uh, almost uh, tumble over each other, you know. They, they happen in the same vicinity. Most of them happen in Capernaum. And so it's, it's just a very fast-paced miracle after miracle after miracle. So at the very least, Mark wants you to get across this fact. Jesus is not like everyone else. He's not even like the prophets in the days gone by who could do these incredible miracles. Jesus is special. And he's claiming to be divinity. He's claiming to be God. So you need to listen to him. When this demon comes to Jesus right after the, uh, the choosing of the 12 disciples uh, here in Capernaum, he says to Jesus in verse 24, What have... You to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, he says a couple of interesting things in, in just those two or three sentences that we looked at there. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? That's kind of a, a way, it's a, it's a Hebrew idiom. 
Uh, apparently he's speaking Hebrew. The people that he's speaking to understand him. Obviously Jesus understood. But he's speaking Hebrew. And so the, the phrase that he uses here, what have you to do with us, is the phrase that an inferior would address to a superior. And so if you were to address your boss, you would use this term. Uh, this phrase. If you were a slave and you were addressing your master, this is how you would address him. Uh, if you were a child addressing your parent, this is how you would address them. And so this, this what have you to do with us, Jesus, it's, it's, a, it's a term of um, insubordinate, uh, not a term, it's a term of subordination. He is recognizing that he is inferior to Jesus. He's outmatched and he knows it. Now, have you ever noticed, I think there's only one that I'm aware of, instance where a demon fights back in Scripture? It's, I think it's in Acts chapter 19. Uh, usually what happens when one of the apostles, and certainly when Jesus encounters a demon, it looks very much like this. In fact, Legion, in Mark chapter 5, is going to say these exact same words. What have you to do with us, Jesus? So even Legion... The, this this demon-possessed man who had uh, maybe a couple thousand demons inside of him uh, that no one could restrain, that lived out in the tombs, even he looks at Jesus and says, I I'm outmatched. You're, you're, you're superior to me and I understand that. So even he doesn't fight back. And this one is the same way here in Mark chapter 1. But that's the way it normally happens when Jesus or one of the apostles meets a demon. They say, be silent, come out of him. And you know what the demon does? He stops talking and he comes out of them. That's what he does. Because they're in control. Jesus is in control. And so there's only one time, I think it's in Acts chapter 19, where the demon kind of sits back and kind of, you get this picture uh, of what's going on. These seven sons, I think Rick talked about this in Wednesday night class a couple of weeks ago. These seven sons of a priest named Sceva have heard what Paul is doing in and around the cities in Asia Minor. And he wants to have some of that acclaim, some of that fame for himself. And so he finds a demon, these seven sons do, and they go into his house and they say, By the God that Paul preaches, by the Jesus that Paul preaches, I adjure you, come out of him. And you know what the demon does? He doesn't come out. <laughs> and in fact, he beats them up, wounds them pretty bad, rips off their clothes, and he sends them running back home. He embarrasses them, essentially. That's not what the demons do when they meet Jesus. They immediately submit. No fight, no questions. They immediately submit. You could see it even in the way they address them, if you were to read it in the Hebrew or the Greek. The next thing that we want to talk about here with this, with this demon is, I know who you are. He knows who Jesus is. Now, Greek is an interesting language. It's much bigger than English. And so when we say, I know what it's like to be a parent, I, I know what it's like because I have children, right? And so I can speak about parenting in that way. I have experiential knowledge. I've experienced what it's like to be a parent. Now, I've never experienced what it's like to take care of an aging parent. Uh, and so I, can't, I don't know what it's like, but I've heard what it's like, right? We don't have that distinction between experiential knowledge and knowledge that someone has taught me. We don't have that in English, but it's there in Greek. And so you find these two different Greek words. I know something because I've experienced it. I have some experience with it. And I know something because someone's told me that thing. And so there's those two different thoughts in Greek. Two different words, as a matter of fact. The word that this demon uses when he says, I know you, is not the experience. It's not the, he hasn't experienced Jesus' power. He's using the word that someone has told him about Jesus. Now, who could have told this demon about Jesus? He hasn't experienced him, at least maybe not that he's aware of. I'm not sure how much the demons know about Jesus at this point. I think they know he's special. I think they know he's significant, that he's a big part of God's plan, but I don't, I don't know that they know that he's God just yet. Uh, or this demon might have used, probably would have used, a different term, right? Because he would have had experience with Jesus. Um, and so he says, someone's told me about you, and I, I know who you are. And so, a little sidebar, who told him? Who let this demon in on this special knowledge? Well, I think it's got to be Satan, right? If you flip back over in your, in your Bibles over to Mark chapter 1, 
uh, starting in verse 12 uh, and 13, you find where Satan had the opportunity to test Jesus for 40 days nonstop, and Jesus never fell. He never sinned. Up until that point, I wonder if Satan wasn't thinking, well, something's, something's different about this Jesus of Nazareth. Usually, uh, I can kind of tempt someone and they'll fall. And if they don't, I'll try again and then they'll fall. You know, people are human and we're, we're fragile, both physically and spiritually. And so he says, well, usually what happens when I tempt someone is they give in to the temptation. But Jesus hasn't done that for 30 years. And now he's driven into the wilderness. He's there for over a month without any food, all by himself, no backup. And Satan has complete sway over him. He can do whatever he wants, looks like. He has all these, these, these uh, possibilities for temptation. And Jesus never once gives in. He never sins. And so Satan, I'm guessing, leaves that encounter thinking something's different about Jesus. I don't know that Satan knows that he is God at this point, but he's going to find out pretty quickly, won't he? By the time the cross comes around, I think Satan is just as sure that Jesus is God as Jesus is. But for whatever reason, this demon now knows that Jesus is significant. He knows that Jesus uh, is special. Uh, and so he knows that he's outmatched. He knows that Jesus is going to cast him out. And so he doesn't even put up a fight. He just immediately comes out of him. Now, what's very interesting about this whole episode is the people's reaction to this encounter. Look down in verse 27. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And so if you look back up a couple of verses earlier, they were amazed at his teaching already. They were astonished at his teaching, as the word Mark uses. It's kind of this, this idea of overflowing. They were dumbfounded that Jesus is teaching in a way that is so unlike anyone they've ever heard before. They're used to the scribes teaching them. But you know what a scribe would, how he would teach, right? He would teach very much like I would teach. Well, you know, this, this, this teacher said this, and, and this is what it means because, you know, Rabbi Gamaliel said that this is what this text means. And so they teach like that. Jesus doesn't teach like that. He comes up with his own interpretation. He has his own answers. He doesn't go back to the rabbis. He supersedes the rabbis. And so these people are astonished at his teaching. Now they're astonished at his power. You put these two things together and you've got to start asking yourself some questions. Why am I not following this guy? Why am I not listening to him? Why am I not lining my life up by what he's saying? I've never heard anybody teach like this man teaches. I've never seen anybody do the things that this man is doing. He is special. I need to, at the very least, pay attention to him. Now the scribes and the Pharisees don't want to do that. You know why? Because they're perfectly content being God themselves. They've made up their own rules. And they're pretty happy with Israel following their rules. They're in charge. They're in control. They have all the power. Someone has a spiritual question. Someone has uh, a, a need. Who do they go to? Well, they go to the scribes and the Pharisees. It makes you feel pretty good, right? If you're one of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're in charge. You're in control. Jesus says, you're not in control anymore. The king is back, and I'm taking back my kingdom because you've hijacked it. They kicked God off the throne, essentially, made up their own rules and told people to follow them or bear the consequences. Jesus said, the new king, the king has returned. The kingdom's back. That, that was what his preaching is, uh, and we learned that from early on in Mark. The kingdom of God's at hand, right? The Pharisees didn't want to listen to what he had to say because they were perfectly content with him being or with themselves being God, and they didn't want anyone to be in charge of them. They didn't want to submit. Now, what's interesting is, check this out. The demons knew who Jesus was, and what did they do? Submitted without question. The everyday common people had seen Jesus' teaching, had heard His teaching, and had seen His miracles, 
And they were starting to come to this understanding. He is special. There's, there's something about this Jesus of Nazareth that, that I'm drawn to. I, I, I want to be around him. I want to listen to his teaching. I think I need to, to obey. I need to submit. The people are getting there. And you see that in Mark. You see the crowds just drawing, uh, growing and growing as they're drawn to him. The people are getting it. They're beginning to understand what the demons knew from day one. Jesus is special and you need to submit to him. Ironically enough, the people who ought to have been the first ones to line up behind Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees, can't see him. They don't see clearly. Why not? Because they're perfectly content being God themselves. So that's our question this morning for this section. Again, we're, we're going through a huge section of Mark today. But our question for right here is, how's your heart? One of the things, in fact, the main thing that John the Baptist did as a precursor to Jesus, as the guy who comes before Jesus, because Jesus needs a person to come before him, right? A forerunner. What's his purpose? Well, his purpose was to prepare their hearts, right? What are their hearts need preparing for? Because our hearts, ooh, that was loud, sorry. Our hearts can get a little callous, can't they? They can get a, a little hard, can't they? We live very much like they did in a cynical culture. If someone calls you, who do you think it is? Every time you pick up your phone, you get a, you get a, a number that's not in, your, uh, not in your contacts list, who do you think it is? Yep, it's a scam, right? It's somebody, they're trying to sell you insurance or your car's extended warranties run out, right? That's our culture. We're, we're very cynical. Not necessarily a bad thing on some things, right? Test every spirit. But there are some drawbacks to this cynicism that seems to have made its way down inside of us. And it affects our, our hearts, right? We need malleable hearts. We need tender hearts hearts so that when we hear something that we might not like from God's mouth we can make the changes that are necessary the Pharisees were hearing a whole lot of things they didn't care for coming out of God's mouth and you know what they did just made them harder they took several steps back from Jesus just made their hearts harder and eventually eventually it's going to make them kill Jesus now, it's not going to be too much longer in Mark. It happens in Mark chapter 3 when they look for a way to destroy him. The word there is not kill. It's not to eliminate. It's to ruin him. They want to take him down a notch or two in the eyes of the people. They don't want him to have so much of this fame, so much of the people that are, that are drawn to him that it eats them up. They can't stand that. And so they want to take him down a notch or two. But eventually... That feeling, that hardness of heart, that hearing what they don't want to hear is going to turn into them not only rejecting Jesus, but ultimately killing him. Our hearts don't need to end up in that position. Now, how do you make your heart softer? That's a good question, right? I don't know any other way to do it than to read that book. He does it. He's the one who makes our hearts soft. Only, the only way I know how to do it is to dive into this text and to allow him to mold our hearts. And he starts working on us. And you start thinking through situations and leading a different life than you did before you were so immersed into this text. He's here. We all need a soft heart so that when we hear things that we don't like, we don't push back. You don't push back. In some real senses, we could, have we could have named this lesson being like a demon because that's what the demons do. As soon as they hear Jesus, they automatically submit. We need to be very much like that, right? The Pharisees heard something that they didn't want to hear, something that was offensive to them, and they pushed back. We can't do that. We need soft hearts. And so this morning, how's, how's your heart? Second question is, are you ready? Skip down a couple of verses to, to, uh, to Peter's mother-in-law. Remember we said that you were going to get to meet her today. Um, she's ill in this text. We're not going to have time to read through 
all these passages. Again, I encourage you to read through uh, this entire chapter again in Mark chapter 1 today. Hopefully we'll get into chapter 2. But Peter's mother-in-law is ill. She has a fever. She lives in the city of Capernaum. Peter and Andrew, at the very least, they follow Jesus now. And they have brought along with the crowd, been astonished at his teaching and amazed at his power. And so Peter starts thinking, you know what? My mother-in-law is kind of sick. I don't know what his, what his relationship with his mother-in-law was like. But the text seems to indicate that maybe Andrew said that, uh, said that maybe Jesus could go over there and heal your mother-in-law. And so he goes over and he says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, can, can you... Can you do something about my mother-in-law? So Jesus comes over to the house, and, and let's just read what happens here. Because I think, again, the words are significant. Verse 30, Mark chapter 1, verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. There's that word, immediately, again. Don't, don't miss that, because that's one of Mark's favorite words. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lift her, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began... Check this out. She began to serve them. She began to serve them. That's interesting, right? Skip down a couple of verses because in, uh, in 32 through, uh, through 39, Jesus is going to go out into the wilderness. He, he is uh, healing people the rest of this day. Um, after Peter's mother-in-law is healed, as all Jesus does is cast out demons and heal people and teach. Uh, he's got an incredibly busy schedule. And you see that especially here in Mark. After that night is over, he's had an incredibly long day. At nighttime, he goes off into the wilderness yet again to be by himself to converse with the Father in prayer. The disciples can't find him. He's so well hidden. I don't know exactly where he is, but apparently there's wilderness enough in and around Capernaum uh, to get lost in. So he's out in the middle of the desert somewhere around Capernaum, and the disciples can't find him. And so they send out kind of a search party, and eventually they run up, uh, run up on him. And uh, they say, well, you, let's go back into the city because there's, there's people looking for you. And Jesus says, no, we're, we're going on uh, around so I can preach to the rest of the people because everyone else needs to see and to hear what Capernaum uh, has already seen and heard so that they can come to the same conclusion as the demons. He really is God. You ought to submit to him. Is your heart ready? So, look at verse 40. This leper comes to Jesus and imploring, kneeling to him, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now, look at this guy's faith. This is incredible, right? Leprosy in the first century is incredibly dangerous, incredibly, it's a death sentence, right? You will not survive. People don't get over leprosy. It's not like the flu. It doesn't run its course. And when it runs its course, you, you run into a coffin. You, you, you don't get over leprosy. And so this guy has heard about Jesus. Maybe he's even heard some of his teaching. And apparently, he's been astonished and amazed at his teaching and his healing, his power, because he comes to Jesus, kneels in front of him like he should. He submits. And he says, if you want to, you can make me clean. I know you have the power. Do you want to? Now that's another really interesting little tidbit there. The words are important. Another really interesting tidbit from Mark. If you want to, you can make me clean. Why might Jesus not want to? If you read through the text, you'll see Jesus says, I will be clean. I think it's the King James. I kind of like that. It's really succinct, right? I want to be healed. Why might Jesus not want to? Well, in this guy's mind, no one has given this guy the time of day since the day he came down with leprosy. We don't know how long he's had it. It could have been 20 years. It could have been 10 years. It could have been five years. I, I, the text doesn't tell us how long he's had this, this terrible disease. But since the moment he found that first spot, wherever it was on his body, and so a priest said, you've got leprosy. You now have to leave the city. You have to go out into the wilderness and be completely by yourself. Remember what a harsh sentence that was for Jesus just for 40 days. This guy's been doing it since he found out that he had leprosy. No one can be around him. In fact, when travelers come uh, and, and he encounters them, he has to shout and say, well, I've got leprosy. Stay back. Don't, don't come near me. Because you can get it just 
six feet distance, right? Social distance. It's the original social distancing. So stay away. Don't, 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 don't come over here. I'm, I'm dangerous. And so no one has cared about this guy. Everyone has written him off. And nobody has touched him since he had leprosy. Now, I want you to see what he says here because the word, I said it at the beginning, the words are important. Verse 42, no, excuse me, verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I will, be clean. I want to, be clean. But the interesting thing is, he touched him. When was the last time this guy, somebody touched him? Just grab his shoulder, give him a hug. The day before, he found out that he had leprosy. Hugs mean a lot more this year than they did in 2019, didn't they? Last time you were hugged, what did you do? Like you just kind of felt this warmth creep over you. And you're like, oh, this is, I've missed it. This is nice, you know? Even a handshake, a high five means more this year than it did last year. Just physical contact. Think about this guy. Nobody touched him in a long time. And then Jesus heals him because of it. Why? Jesus is kind. There's no, he doesn't need to touch him. Jesus doesn't even need to be in, need to be in the same zip code as this guy to be able to heal him. Touching him is not a necessity. So why does he do it? Because he's kind. It'll make the guy feel better. That's the only thing I can come up with. Even in the minutest details, Jesus is kind. Kind of amazing, right? Now, I want you to see what this guy does. Jesus is going to tell him, don't tell anybody who healed you. Go show yourself to the priest, make the offering, and, and you can enter back into society, pretty much, is kind of what he says. Verse 45, but he went out and began to talk freely about it, and he spread the news so that Jesus could no longer open, openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Did you see what the guy did? Now, interestingly enough, he disobeyed Jesus. But he goes out and does what? He tells everybody what Jesus has done for him. The word that's used here when he says in verse uh, 45, talk freely, is not usually translated talk freely. It's usually translated preach. This guy preached. He went out and he told everybody he met who Jesus was and what he had done for him because he was astonished by his teaching and he was amazed by his miracles and his power. When Jesus heals you, check out Peter's mother-in-law and check out the leper. I think that's why... I've Mark puts these two back to back for us. They serve a purpose for him. I think maybe this is one of his purposes. When Jesus heals you, the only logical, reasonable response is to serve him. Submit to him without question. And to go out and do his bidding. Peter's mother-in-law served him. The, the, uh, the leper goes out and he starts preaching. He's evangelizing. And so we go out and, and we serve so are you ready to go out and serve? If you've been healed, are you ready to go out and serve? Now, last thing. We'll try to do this in a minute or two. This paralytic in the first 12 verses of chapter 2 of Mark, uh, his friends lower him down through a roof. This is an incredibly loud experience. I mean, think of somebody tearing off the roof of our church building. This is not a quiet thing. And so it interrupts Jesus' teaching. Now there are some scribes and Pharisees who are sitting in the middle of the floor, even though there's people standing out the, out the back door to the front door of this, this house. The scribes and the Pharisees are sitting there. When this guy gets lowered down out of the roof, Jesus looks at um, the men who are doing this and the paralytic and says, your sins are forgiven. And there's quiet, right? There's been a really loud thing going on with the roof, lots of noise. And Jesus looks at the man when he can finally talk over all the noise. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's quiet. And all of a sudden, Jesus, nobody says anything. All of a sudden, Jesus turns to the scribes and the Pharisees and says, why are you thinking in your minds? Have you read their minds? Why are you thinking in your minds, who is this who can forgive sins? Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus is kind of like, yeah, you're right. Nobody can forgive sins except God alone. Notice my teaching, notice my power. Everybody else is putting two and two together. Why won't you? Because your heart, heart's not ready. You haven't been immersed enough in the Word yet. You're not ready. What I want you to see, and I wrote about this in the bulletin, so you, that's why I saved it for last, so you can go back through and read the bulletin uh, if, if you don't catch all this. 
your faith is visible. It's not just an intellectual thing. It's backed up by actions or it's not faith. That's what James 2 says, right? Faith without deeds. It's nothing. It's just words. It's dead faith. If you don't have deeds, you don't have actions to back up your faith, it's nothing. These guys had deeds. They had actions to back up their faith. They were so convinced that Jesus could heal this guy that they spent their energy tearing off this person's roof and lowering him down through a crowd in order just to see Jesus. That's how convinced they were. That's their faith. You can see it. And Jesus says, your, I can see your faith. We'll go back through and again read this passage. But then the second thing is, you're going to be held accountable not just for your actions that line up with your faith, but you're also going to be held accountable for what you're thinking. This year has been really tough, hasn't it, to control our thoughts. Thoughts are a lot easier to control than, than our actions, aren't they? You can physically make yourself stop doing something if you're strong enough, strong-willed enough. It's very hard to stop your mind from doing something. That's the call of the gospel, though. We, Jesus says, give me control of your mind. Allow me to control your mind. Put him in the driver's seat. There's passages that just explode off the page, like Philippians 4, verse 8. You know, whatever things are pure, whatever things are honorable, right? Think on these things. And again, go back and read through your bulletin article. And it'll kind of help shore up some of these thoughts for us this morning. But what is your faith doing? Has it changed your actions? Has it changed the way you're thinking? If it hasn't, I'm going to encourage you today to take a good hard look at your faith. Is it alive or dead? Has it changed your actions? Has it changed your thinking? If it hasn't changed anything, one of those two things in your life, your faith's struggling. This is the perfect year to get that back on track, right? It's been tough. I don't think this year has not left any of us unscathed. This is the perfect time to make all that right, to answer these three questions. How's your heart doing? Are you ready to serve? What's your faith doing? What are you doing for the kingdom of God? This morning, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, I want to encourage you to take that step this morning. Have your sins washed away and be made clean, just like the leper was. Not physically, but spiritually speaking. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning. You just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be in the midst of uh, a culture that is sometimes um, anti, that is against these, these teachings uh, and this, these priorities that he has. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
572. 572, send the light. As a quick reminder, uh, there are still the containers in the back for the offering if you've not already done so. After this, Mike will have our closing prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you once again, Father, as we finish up our service here this morning, Lord. We just are so thankful that you've given us this opportunity to be here to worship you, Lord, and for this church that you've blessed us with, Father. We just thank you for giving us the health and the ability to to be together and pray that our service and worship this morning was, was pleasing to you, God. And we thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus, and for Chris's lesson today that reminds us just who he is, Lord, and pray that we never forget that and just pray that we center our lives around him and, and do away with all the distractions of this world, Lord. And, and Father, I just pray that you'd be with each of us today. Just give us safe travels home. Be with us this week. Watch over us. Keep us healthy and safe and pray that we live our lives in a way that brings glory to you, Father. It's through Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. <laughs>